0: Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 16, and the last time the message was titled Character Matters, And it was really neat how the chapter was broken down, because it really gives you a a successive list of the northern kings who were just so wicked, one right after the other. And then, of course, there was a good king at the end, so it ended off kind of on a high note. You get to contrast the good character versus the bad character. Uh, This evening, we're going to be... The title is called The Tragedy of Ahaz, and we're going to focus on one king. Um, And here's a guy who boy, he had everything. His palace was a stone's throw from the temple. He had the priesthood. He had the things of God in there. Uh, He had, you know, God's people were surrounding him. And he just was evil. He just kept making poor decisions. Uh, He just kept rejecting God, no matter how much God was trying to get a hold of him. And, you know, I think it's sad, too, that you know, you look, you look around, and even in our culture, you know, people come to church for different reasons, but what a, what a shame it would be to even grow up in the church or to grow up in a Christian home and to know the things of the Lord and to make a conscious effort to turn away. Now, we know that God allows repentance, and we do, on a regular basis, pray for prodigals. Unfortunately, with Ahaz, uh, he didn't want any of it, and then he died in that state. So we'll check that out. Second uh, Kings 16, starting with verse 1. It says, In the seventeenth year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. And Ahaz was twenty years old when he became king, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Which, down the line, David was a great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, but even his father... Directly over him was a good man, and he decided to walk away from God. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, which they were mostly apostate. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire. We're going to talk about that. According to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. So instead instead of telling people who don't know about God, the wonderful things about God, this guy adopted the pagan practices and the ungodliness of the cultures around him. (laughs) There's a lot of lessons here. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. So this is the spiritual uh, pretty much evaluation of King Ahaz, of Judah, of the southern kingdom. And it was truly deplorable. Uh, There's more information actually in 2 Chronicles 28, 1 through 4, I love to use Chronicles as well. It gives more of a spiritual uh, you know, aspect to what we're learning. The kings are more historical, but there is a lot of overlap. So I'll just go into some of the things that are said in 2 Chronicles 28 before we get into the, the bulk of it that I'm going to hit. In verse 2, he says that he made molded images for the Baals, or these little demon gods that the foreigners worshipped. So again, here's a guy who should know better, leading God's people all the accoutrements of God, and he's making molded images. Uh, verse 3, again, this is in Chronicles, you don't see it here in front of you, in, in 16 here. It says, Ahaz burned incense in the valley of Hinnom, and burned his children in the fire. Now this is a hard thing to talk about, because, and uh, not only were there paintings of this, there were reliefs, there were uh, actually these, these grotesque, statues that were found in in the ruins at the pagan temples but there was this creepy uh statue of a bull's head and a man's body and it was metal and the belly was bulbous and the arms were outstretched and they would heat it up really hot and there's young ears here this evening but they would put their little ones on it and you could just imagine how they passed away that way so uh it wasn't good it was sick um you know, Ahaz had kings before him that did some evil, or, they, or they, they overlooked the evil of the land. He takes the leap by participating in it. So it's amazing when you have negative influences how we can stomach it, we can tolerate it, we could be okay with it, like Lot in Sodom, right? But then there comes a point in time where if we're around it enough and we're not strong enough, we start to do it. And this is what Ahaz did. But I look at... I read the news and um, I see stuff that goes on in our culture, you know, um, what sometimes kids do to their parents and some of the crimes, and I I don't know that we're that far away, or the abortion issue and um, completely viable baby in the womb, and they um, terminate it just before it's being given birth, and then they sell the parts. And I've seen the undercover videos of people laughing as they're talking about this. The Nazis would be proud. You know, I mean, it's disgraceful. And this went on, and it was turned a blind eye by the last administration. I really hope things change. But we continue. Ahaz walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, his brethren in the north. And again, he emulated the worst examples instead of the best examples. And, you know, another application as believers, who are we emulating? We can have maybe family members, friends, associates, business partners that drag us down. We can hang out with them that, you know, encourage us to do the wrong things, or we can have uh, friends and associates that we hang around with that help us to be our best. It's a choice that we all make in life. Every one of us, including me, has that choice, and I tell you, God has burned me before for having the wrong associations years ago, and He made it a, an uncomfortable split because He did not want that for me. And I learned the hard way, and that's fine. You know, when I learn a hard lesson, I'm like, all right, Lord, I, okay, I'm trying to learn something from here. But, you know, you, you see it sometimes in a church where people get together and they find the most carnal people, uh, birds of a feather flock together, and they're in a church for maybe particular reasons, but they. They find the the they, and they always find each other the carnal believers, um, because they, they feel comfortable instead of trying to be better and asking to be discipled and having mentors, you know it's a lot of listen. It doesn't mean that we we I don't know anybody who would do what King Ahaz would do, but we can't miss the applications for our own lives. You know, what I'm saying who are we hanging out with, you know, uh, people helping to bring us up and and grow and mature in the Lord, or are they dragging us down? Um, I've said before that gossips, even in the church, sometimes have the biggest followings, the most friends on Facebook, social media, you know, because they, they're popular and, and people don't want to ostracize them and then they get talked about. All right, so you see all these things kind of come together. Who are our associates? Um, Ahaz allowed the worst people in the kingdom to negatively influence him and he should have known better. He was a leader. He was literally selected by God, and this is how he repaid him. Now, I'm going to come back to this, but even his name Ahaz was shortened, I believe, by the Holy Spirit in this book. His full name was Yehoahaz. If we could actually put up, I'm a little overdue, um, if we could put up the the list of the kings, you can see what's going on here. Here's here's Israel, uh, Pekahiah, Pekah, right, Hosea after him, Assyrians take over, because their wickedness, God was like, that's enough, I have to cut this line off. And then if we look on this side, here's Ahaz, his father it says was good, and his son, Hezekiah, we're going to read about him, he was great, right? Josiah down here, but um, Ahaz did evil. Uh, Several kings after that, we find that the Babylonians end up taking over. So at this time, there's Pekah in the north and Ahaz in the south. And we continue, verse 5. Then Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to make war, and they besieged Ahaz, but could not overcome him. At that time, Rezin, king of Syria, captured Elath for Syria and drove the men of Judah from Elath. That's significant. It's a warm water port. We'll get to that. Then the Edomites went to Elath and dwell there to this day. So Ahaz doesn't call on God. He calls on a man. (laughs) Verse 7, he sends messengers to Tiglath-Pileser, who was a ruthless uh, dictator, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel, who rise up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house and sent it as a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria heeded him for the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and took it, carried its people captive to Kir and killed Rezin. Again, Rezin is the king of Syria. So you have Pekah, who's the king of Israel. You have Rezin, who's the king of Syria. And then of course Ahaz is the king of Judah. If we could put up the map, map, right? So here is Syria... The Assyrians are over here, right? And here is the north, ten tribes of Israel. The south, the two tribes. Jerusalem is here. When the kings were prosperous, they were able to expand their borders. The Edomites were down in this area. But at one time, Judah had this pretty much area here. And here's Elath. Elath was a warm water port this is the Gulf of Elath, which is the, the northern right side or the right horn of the Red Sea. So what happens is the decline. There's a decline in Judah. They lose that. They lose that port, significant for commerce, battle. Uh, so it's, you know, we read it in the scripture, but if we really look into it, um, there's a decline here because of his evil. God wasn't going to allow them to be prosperous. Now, if we can turn to Isaiah 7.1, it's only one verse. When we covered this, what I love about this, and uh, talking to Corey before the, uh, the service, because he was going through Isaiah, is that we're going to start to see some parallels here. Right? We, go through the, we go through Isaiah, we go through 2 Kings, we're going to get this history of God's people from both sides. We're going to get it from a political and a monarchical standpoint. We're also going to get it from a spiritual standpoint. So we already covered this a few Sundays ago, but I'm going to read just this one verse. It says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail. So the, you know, it, it's, it's a very strange situation uh, because Israel and Syria in the, in the north First of all, Israel shouldn't have been aligning herself with Syria. They were very wicked. They should have trusted God. They were anti, okay? Israel and Syria were anti-Assyria, the dominant kingdom that was the the doom that was taking over the land at the time in Mesopotamia. Judah in the south was pro-Assyria. So you had God's people that were anti-Assyria, but pro-Syria, and you had in the south, they were pro-Assyria, the problem here is what? None of God's people were pro-God. <laughs> so you have them making all these alliances, they're, they're, and people do that today. We, we make alliances, we, we get all our ducks in a row, and this person's going to help me with this deal, and this is going to help me in this area of my life. But where's God? And we'll see that Ahaz really insulted God by not completely cutting him off, but putting the things of God second place to Assyria. God doesn't want to be second place in anybody's life, and He won't be. You know, So this is what's going on at the time. Uh, Syria and Israel attack Judah because Judah is pro-Assyria, and they wanted Judah to be on our, their side. So the three nations hopefully could stop the Assyrians. But here Isaiah is saying, you guys are going to deal with judgment. And the people are saying, no, 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 we'll listen to Isaiah, well, let's try this. So they try to get into Jerusalem, depose Ahaz, and put their puppet king in, so there's three nations now against Assyria, but it doesn't work. So everybody's having problems here because of why sin? So they call this the Syro-Ephraimite alliance, Syria and Israel in the north. Uh, It presents a major problem for Judah and Ahaz, but when we went through Isaiah 7, what we found is in at least two occasions, the prophet Isaiah, very revered, 66 chapters, he says to the king on two occasions that we're familiar with, listen, You've got to stop doing this with, this with these alliances. You just have to trust God. You just have to humble, humble yourself. And Ahaz, he made all these excuses, if you remember chapter 7. And he just kind of ignored the prophet, ignored God's overtures of love and help, and he just went right to making alliances with men. And that's really the sad thing. So he has all these accoutrements of God. He's got Jerusalem, he's got the temple, he's got the priests, but he has no God. And we can make those uh, parallels today. We can make those applications. You know, some grow up in the church. Maybe they grow up in a Christian home. Maybe they live in the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt. I've never lived there, but I hear about the Bible Belt. There's churches every few blocks, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but still come out, you know, after decades, after they grow up and just, just know God in their life. They could have all the accoutrements and the attachments of God, but know God. And that said, They could be so close, but yet so far. There are those that are um, in thriving ministries that aren't saved. Again, they might be in it for all the wrong reasons. They just don't have a relationship with the Lord. Verse 7, Ahaz is a picture of being at the end of your rope and making the wrong choices instead of calling on God. So Ahaz is a picture of a lot of things that we shouldn't do. Sometimes when we read about, you know, I try to be the eternal optimist here, Wow, oh, it's, it's kind of depressing. Okay, well, maybe we should learn what not to do. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we, we took something out of it, even though it was a little depressing. Because it's sad to look at, right? Um, so Ahaz is, his answer to the problem is calling on the Assyrians. That's like saying, I'm, I'm, I need some money. I need a loan. Let me, let me check with the local mobster down the street and see if he'd give me a few bucks. Not a really good idea, but this is what Ahaz was doing. Um, and when God blesses us, there's no strings attached. He just blesses us. But Ahaz wasn't having anything. He wasn't having it at all. I want to read to you just how ugly things got. If we can put up 2 Chronicles 28. And this, again, is a parallel scripture. Starting with verse 5. I'll read it. It says, Therefore the Lord his God, Ahaz's God, whether he liked it or not, delivered him into the hand of King Assyria. They defeated him and carried away a great multitude of them as captives. Okay, so they're attacking, they're going up against Jerusalem. Well, they don't quite break down the wall, but they do cause a lot of damage. Um, So a bunch of people are brought to Damascus, which is the capital of Syria. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Hermaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Very sad. Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, killed Messiah, the king's son, Azricam, the officer over the house, and Elkanah, who was second to the king, and the children of Israel carried away captives of their brethren. 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and they also took much spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. This is really sad. It's brother against brother. That's really tragic. But a prophet of the Lord, I love this guy. (laughs) It's the only time I ever read of him. But a prophet of the Lord was there, and his name was Oded. And he went out before the army that came to Samaria. So Israel, the northern kingdom is victorious. They're taking all these people from the south, by, uh, by force, like slavery, bringing them to the north. But check out what Oded does. Um, and he said to them, look, there's one person against the army. Look, because the Lord God of your fathers was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand. But you have killed them in a rage that reaches up to heaven. Remember Cain and Abel? His blood cries out to me from the ground. God is a God of justice. And now you propose to force the children of Judah and Jerusalem to be your male and female slaves? But are you not also guilty before the Lord your God? Now hear me, therefore, and return the captives whom you have taken from your brethren, for the fierce wrath of the Lord is upon you. Then some of the heads of the children of Ephraim, as, now they could have killed them, by the way, and said, shut up, we're, this is what we're going to do. But, you know, even uh, the apostate north was, they listened when the prophet spoke. Uh, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Bereshiah the son of, Meshulamoth, Jehizkiah, the son of Shalem, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, stood up against those who came from the war and said to them, you shall not bring the captives here for we already have offended the Lord. You intend to add to our sins and to our guilt for our guilt is great and there is fierce wrath against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the leaders and all the congregation. Then the men who were designated my name rose up and took captives and from the spoil, and they clothed all who were naked among them, dressed them, and gave them sandals, gave them food and drink. Here, this thing completely turns around. They take their prisoners of war, and they now start feeding them and clothing them. This is great. And anointed them. And then they let all the feeble ones ride on donkeys. They give them transportation. So they brought them to their brethren at Jericho, the city of palm trees. They returned. Then they returned to Samaria. At the same time, King Ahaz, the guy in the south, sent to the kings of Assyria to help him. For again, the Edomites had come, attacked Judah, and carried away captives. So I'm going into something different, but I love this. A prophet stands up and says, this is really, really wrong. And the north, who's pretty much apostate, say, you know, yeah, we've already offended the Lord. We're really not walking right, and this is really going to put judgment on our heads. So the Philistines had also invaded the cities of the lowland and of the south of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ejelon, Gederoth, Sokah with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo with its villages, and they dwelt there. For the Lord brought Judah low because of Ahaz, king of Israel. Um, That was another, it was two Ahazs. For he had encouraged moral decline in Judah and had been continually unfaithful to the Lord. Also Tiglath-Peles, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him and did not assist him. For Ahaz took part of the treasures from the house of the Lord, from the house of the king, and from the leaders, and he gave it to the king of Assyria, but he did not help him. Last few verses. Now in the time of the distress, King Ahaz became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord, that is King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, saying, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me but they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So Ahaz gathered all the articles of the house of God, cut in pieces the articles of the house of God, shut up the doors of the house of the Lord, and made for himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every single city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoke to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Okay, that was a mouthful. Um, So what what does Ahaz do, the guy in the south? What he does is... He pays tiglath Pelliser, the, the, the guy who's the dominant Assyrian empire, he, play, he pays him what's like protection money. And then he, what does he become? He becomes a debtor. Okay, And really sad is he takes the things of God and he starts stripping them down. Right? He starts, um, boy, you, you think today if we had uh, old cars or something, you strip them down and the junkyard will pay you money for it this guy was stripping down the beautiful things of God, the furniture in the temple, um, a lot of it had precious metals, and he would just gather it up and send carts to Assyria as protection money. And it was shameful because, you know, the hammered gold, and we talked about this when the temple was built, they they had these these craftsmen that would hammer gold real fine, almost like tinfoil. And when they would put it on the different parts of the temple and the sun came up, it glistened, it was beautiful, and gold represented the glory of God. So he would strip the gold down, he'd strip the bronze down. Bronze was a picture of judgment, not realizing he was bringing judgment upon his head. He would take all the precious metals and really, really sad if you think about what he was doing to God's house. Going back to Second Kings 16, 10-18, this is the bulk of it here. So King Ahaz now goes to Damascus, which is the capital of Syria. But at this time, the Assyrians came, invaded Damascus, so it really wasn't Syrians running it anymore, it was Assyrians, just to make that clear. To meet Tiglath-Peles, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus, the Assyrian false god's altar. And King Ahaz sent to Elijah the priest, down back in, in, in Jerusalem, the design of the altar and its pattern according to all its workmanship. Then Uriah the priest builds an altar according to all that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Uriah the priest made it before King Ahaz came from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached the altar and made offerings on it. So Ahaz goes all the way up to pay his tribute money to Samaria. He sees a pagan altar. He goes, oh, this is great. He either really likes it, or the Assyrians assumed you better worship our gods because, you know, we're dominating you. He takes that, the template of this pagan altar, brings it, sends it back to Jerusalem, and the high priest gets involved with helping to build it. Again, this is a demonic altar. So he burned his burnt offerings and his grain offering. He poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar, again, to another god. He also brought the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, from the front of the temple, from between the new altar and the house of the Lord, and put it on the north side of the new altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah the priest, saying, Oh, or on the great new altar, burn the morning burnt offering, the evening grain offering, the king's burnt sacrifice, and his grain offering with the burnt offering of all the people of the land, their grain offering, a lot of offerings here, and their drink offerings, and sprinkle on it the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. And the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Urijah the priest according to all that King Ahaz commanded. And King Ahaz cut off the panels of the carts and removed the lavers from them. And he took down the sea from the bronze oxen that were under it and put it on a pavement of stones. He removed the Sabbath pavilion which he had built in the temple. And he removed the king's outer entrance from the house of the Lord on account of the king of Assyria. So there was even, um, the king almost had like a portico or a, a little walkway where he would go from his palace you know, to the temple to offer his offerings. Um, he cuts that down. He pretty much almost really closes the house of God to establish this pagan system. It's really quite disgusting if you really think about it. Uh, but what's worse is, and I find this really sad, is that Uriah the high priest, is just as corrupt as the king. Right? You know, we understand that political figures do things and they should be honest, but honestly, has politics really changed in 3,000 years? Probably not that much. So, what's really sad is that the high priest goes along with what the king is doing. He's supposed to be a holy man. He's supposed to be a man of God. Remember Azariah the priest? when the popular King Uzziah comes in and wants to burn incense. And Azariah, I mean, he's not a warrior. He's like, you can't be in here. And, uh, and this popular king pushes back. And Azariah gets all the priests to get, the, get that king out of there. He doesn't belong here. It's blasphemous. That guy was a, a, really ma, a real man of God. He had a lot of courage. The king could have killed him. However, Uriah the priest is corrupt. It's corrupt. He's corrupt. And again... Who were they aligning themselves with? The Assyrians. Which not long, a few generations down the road, the Assyrians would be no more. And where would their relationship with God be? Right? It's a, it's a shame when a man of God or a woman of God can be bought. They could be bought off to, to say, you see, we see it today, you know, the right influences, the right money, the right gifts, the right um, barter system, the, you know, there's, there's guys who started out really solid in the pulpit, the Word of God, and over time, because of influence, started saying different things. Started. But can I tell you something? I'm just going to be honest with you here. Let me stop the cadence of the message. I've had people come up to me over the years and ask me not to preach certain things, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's happened a few times, and I'm like... And of course, I have to debate everybody. (laughs) So, one particular guy, uh, the prosperity gospel, he really had a problem with that. And he, he was really boasted about how he was giving and how he was trying to support certain things. And I went head to head with him. And I'm like, yeah, you're wrong, bro. I mean, no offense, but let's go point by point. Let's go teacher by teacher. These are the guys you look up to? I'm like, I can't but speak it from the pulpit. Well, eventually he left. But I just, I got to tell you something. I couldn't look in the mirror and I couldn't look at my wife because my wife is like a mirror. And if I was to be bought off or I was to be influenced and I was to get soft, believe me, not only would it bother me looking at my reflection, but my wife would let me know. And you know what? My God would let me know. But this guy was bought off. He was bought off. I'm responsible for a church, a medium-sized church. This guy was responsible for the children of Israel. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. And he got bought off. Sad. He got influenced. So Ahaz does a lot of restructuring. Um, you know, He redoes the offerings. He, he has this, all these new digs, this new equipment. Hey, let me do my offering. So weird. You know the true God, and then you start taking those offerings and offering on some pagan altar. Um, and again, the, the great shame was that God wasn't completely kicked out, he was made second place. Which is, I think, worse than turning your back on God. Let me do these things first. Let me worship these gods. But, you know, you're still there, Lord. Sometimes I'll go to your altar and seek you. It just doesn't work like that. Proverbs 14.34 says, The righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. I want to read something from, from um, actually, it's Warren Wiersbe who... Quotes, A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer quotes. And uh, this was written decades ago, but boy, it almost sounds like he wrote this last week. So Warren Wiersbe says, Today the church is becoming so like the world that it's getting difficult to tell them apart. What Ahaz did in a sense was he married the worldliness with the church. Of course, the church didn't exist back then. But he tried to take the things of God and compromise and reconcile them with the things of the world. And that was horrible. So a. W., he quotes A.W. Tozer who says, quote, Aside from a few of the grosser sins, the sins of the unregenerated world are now approved by a shocking number of professedly born-again Christians and copied eagerly. Love the parallels he makes. Young Christians take as their models the rankest kind of worldlings, and try to be as much like them as possible. Religious leaders have adopted the techniques of advertisers. Boasting, baiting, and shameless exaggeration are now carried on as a normal procedure in church work. The moral climate is not that of the New Testament, but that of Hollywood and Broadway. This was written decades ago. What would he say today? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Uh, So... You know, sometimes people say to me, yeah, I read the Old Testament and I just can't, I can't make a, an application. Let me tell you something. If you read it, you can make an application because there's tons of them. But worldliness, um, you know, modern Christianity, a lot of it has not completely abandoned the altar or the cross, but has put it second. Because you know what? These methods, these worldly methods, they work. I'm being facetious. They get people into the church. They get money to put into the collections. And some churches actually hire these secular firms to teach them how to increase their monetary giving and how to increase you know um, the, the seats being filled and all that kind of stuff. I, I just don't I just can't I can't agree with it. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Ahaz which he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in this place. And it gets good after that. And you wonder, Ahaz had a good dad and an awesome son, and an awesome great-great-great-grandson, but he was bad. He was bad. Um, You know, I just, I'm sure we all want this for our kids, and maybe our kids have various levels of whether they're walking with the lord or not but i just know for me before i die <laughs> if my son is a better man than me uh, a better man of god than i am boy i could go i could go in peace you know what i'm saying right now he's taking a chemistry final so keep him in your prayers but uh uh that's that's my you know for me for my son for everybody here i mean that would be That would be anybody's if they really love the Lord, just to see people change and to grow and to be men and women of God. I mean, that should be really the desire to grow. But the tragedy of Ahaz, what was the root of it? Well, the root of it was turning from God and turning his nation away from God. Think about this. They're kings. He had probably beautiful clothing. He probably sat on a throne that had gold on it. His home probably was more square footage than our homes. Um, from all outward appearance. He had power over the military. Uh, Obviously, he had power over the priesthood. This guy was unstoppable. Um, And maybe any peasant looking at the king would be like, oh, this guy, I'd love to be him. But here's a guy who got everything from the world and turned his back on the Lord. And that's sad. That's really sad. Jesus spoke of the tragedy in the afterlife of somebody who has that authority or that oversight and turns a little one, children or someone of, um, of immature minds, turns them away from the things of God that it would be better for a millstone to be hung around their neck and to be cast into the sea because of the judgment that they'll get from God. So here's the really interesting part as we close. According to history, the Assy- Assyrian record, King Ahaz's name in the Bible is actually shortened. His name is actually Yehoahaz. There actually was a Yehoahaz further up on that list. That was His name too. It's like when the Holy Spirit had this book written in Chronicles, they truncated His name. Now let me tell you, it gets even more interesting. Yehoahaz means Yahweh or God has held. Or His name could mean a possession of God, of Yahweh, right? Here He's just held. He's just holding himself up. He's just a possession. He's not a possession of God anymore. Maybe it can be rendered he's possessed. <laughs> so, not to play with the wording too much, but it's very interesting how his name is truncated and God is removed from his name. And he's seen by God through the Word as just a man. God is not in his name anymore. So, that's, that's, that's tragic. The king... God has held, in the end became held. Right? It all proved to be a false sense of security. According to the Scripture, from what I read, He died at 36. That's young. Right? Was he, he started at 20, reigned 16 years, um, and where has He been for the last 2,700 years? To play with the names a little bit more, I want to be known as Yehoahaz Joe de Proximo. <laughs> I want to be known as God has held Joe Prosimo. I want to be Joe Prosimo, God's possession. I want people to look at my life and not say he's great. I want them to say, when I look at his life, I can tell he's being held up by the Lord. Right? I don't need the fame. I, don't need, I just want to be known as a guy who's doing his best, who's being held by God. That's all. That's all. And I want the same for everybody here. And one last thing, honorable mention. There's sometimes we read about people in the Bible that are mentioned like once. Oded. <laughs> Oded. What? You're bringing your brothers and sisters in chains? What are you, crazy? You've got to stop this. You're already under judgment. Oh, maybe we should listen to the prophet. All the guys with the swords and the spears and the armor. And they listen to Oded and they let him go. Let us be an Oded. Let us be not afraid that if we're intimidated, if we're surrounded, if we're in hostile territory, not to be obnoxious, but to say, you know what? This is wrong. This is what God's word says. Let's be an Oded. So you have this Ahaz who we're focusing on, tragedy of Ahaz, and then you have a little bit about Oded. But Oded loved the Lord, and Oded did the right thing. Again, may we never, ever be around the things of God, Be in a church for everything else but a close relationship with with the Lord. Let's be here because we love the Lord and we want to grow. And any other reason, let that be secondary. Let's pray.